morning to you. It's great to see you all here this morning. Uh, my name's Neil, and along with my wife Kate, we serve this amazing community here at Southwest London Vineyard. If you're new or visiting, you are, of course, very, very welcome. It's lovely to see you, and uh, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, so do come and say hello. Uh, do have a chat with the welcome team, who, as you know, have got those uh, nice lanyards. Uh, we'd love to help connect you with some part of the body of Christ, whether it's this part of the body of Christ or wherever it may be. Um, but you are very, very welcome. I'm going to continue our Advent series this morning. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And over the season of Advent in the run-up to Christmas, uh, each week basically we're invited over the four weeks of Advent to turn our attention to what it means for Jesus, the Messiah, to come into the world as Emmanuel, God with us. And during, uh, during Advent, there's an invitation that goes out to us all, it's extended to us by the Spirit of God to slow down and to pause in this often hurried and frenetic season and take time to both uh, remember on the one hand and also to anticipate on the other. Remember and anticipate. We remember what was promised and what was prophesied and realized in the first coming of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas. But at the same time, we're also anticipating, we're also looking ahead to his return when Jesus will come again in glory and set everything to right. So over the four Sundays in Advent, traditionally the church look, looks at four subjects, at hope, peace, joy, and love. And last week we did hope, and so this week we're going to be looking at peace. And this morning I want us to look at the promise of peace, the advent of peace, the fulfillment of peace, and then our part in peace. But what do the scriptures have to say? What does Jesus have to say about peace? You know, peace is actually, it's woven throughout the biblical uh, narrative. And, and peace, as it unfolds in the scriptures, is very different to the kind of peace that we might as we might understand it in our culture and our context. Uh, peace, as you'll probably be familiar, as you'll probably know in Hebrew, is uh, shalom. And that kind of conveys and carries with it this idea of like an absence of war, an absence of conflict, but it, but it actually goes way beyond that. It goes way beyond that and incorpor incorporates um, completeness and justice and wholeness. Uh, it's an order. Shalom is this space and this place that brings harmony, brings security, brings well-being. It's that place where our relationships with God and with one another and with ourselves and with the world in which we find ourselves, all of those relationships are well-ordered and are as God defined them. And there's honor and dignity uh, for all. And this peace that the scriptures talk about, Jesus talks about, it's not just like an emotional state of mind. It's not something that you just get through a little bit of meditation and as you reach this zen-like state, it's, it's something for the entire state of our soul. Biblical peace goes way beyond our culture's definition of, uh, of peace, and it has the power to literally reorder and re-architect, if you like, our lives together. And so kind of through those lenses, let's have a look at peace through the context of Jesus coming 
to earth and the promise of peace. Let's start with this Old Testament prophecy that's very familiar at this time of year um, about Jesus from Isaiah chapter 9. This is Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, here against a backdrop that's really all too familiar to Israel is this backdrop of war and of loss and of darkness. We get this glimpse into the midst of that darkness uh, given about this coming Messiah, this king, this deliverer, who would come. And uh, we're told in this prophecy, this promise, what he's going to be like. And you see, Israel well understood. They had a long history of knowing what it meant to live in times of darkness. They knew what it was to feel the, the weight and the defeat of oppression. They knew firsthand that, that deep longing and that ache for deliverance uh, to come, for rescue to come. And even as this promise was given uh, some 800 years or so before the birth of Christ, uh, they were headed into exile, they were headed to live under a government that was not their own. And all throughout the Old Testament, and uh, over and over again, what we find is we find Israel looking for a priest or a king or some intermediary, some advocate. They're waiting and hoping and longing that someone is going to come and lead them and keep them from their oppressors and free them and protect them from the oppression that they're under. Uh, to make of them a great nation into a kingdom that would ensure prosperity, strength, and above all, peace. For all, that's all they wanted, just peace. Peace within their borders, which means that the promise found in, uh, here in Isaiah chapter 9, that's one that would ring true for them. One that would touch the ache within their hearts. One that would cause them to ask questions like, how and when and who? When we're reading, what we're reading here in Isaiah chapter 9, it's, it's, a, it's a not yet promise. But it is a promise just the same. In verse 6, we read that this Messiah will be born, he'll be given to his people, and that he will reign, and that he will establish a new government, a new way of living, and he will be a wonderful counselor. He's going to give wisdom and insight and provision to his people. He's going to be mighty God, or in the Hebrew, he will be the Lord God Almighty, the living God, living 
with, dwelling with his people. He'll be an everlasting father, eternally ruling, and he will be the prince of peace, bringing with him the blessing of peace forever. Uh, This Messiah would be one who ushers in a kingdom without war, without conflict. He would be the one who would bring wholeness and fullness and restoration to all the broken and tattered parts and places of our lives and our world, our souls and our hearts. This promise uh, meant that God is not and has not and will not abandon his people and leave them in chaos, but that God would now establish a new government, a new way of life, and it would be a way of life that would ensure security and wholeness and fullness and shalom for all. That was the promise of peace. Now, let's fast forward uh, several hundred years and take a look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. This uh, our Christmas story. It wouldn't be quite the same if we didn't go here. And, And this is the Christmas story that heralds the advent of this promise, advent, the arrival of this promise that we just read about from Isaiah chapter 9. This is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, as you would be. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, as they have a habit of doing, Um, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So as I say, here in Luke chapter 2, we find our famous Christmas story. This is where we read that the Messiah has now come, and, and right into the middle of this messy, not what anyone could possibly have expected entrance into the world, we find the advent of the promise of peace that we've just read back on from Isaiah chapter 9. A child is born, an infant, a baby, and to the shepherds in a town nearby, the angels descend and say this, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests, and on earth, peace. Now, you know, this can just so easily get bypassed. It can so easily get glossed over. It sounds so simple. You know, it's a wonderful lyric in an angelic uh, song. Uh, But it means so much more than that. You know, the king, this promised Messiah, is now here, and peace has come to earth. And what that means is that in and through this baby, we can now all have peace. It means that we can now have peace with God. It means that we can now have 
peace and be at peace with one another. It, it means that we can have peace within. It means we can be at peace with the world in which we find ourselves. This is a wonderful message of hope for all of us. The, the angel song is not just some simple exclamation to the shepherds. It's a declaration and a proclamation that through this baby, through this Jesus, all of the unholy and the broken parts of humanity and history would be and could be restored. That this child, this infant, this baby would bring a pathway of restoration and union for all people and for all things. This Prince of Peace would bring together everything that had been scattered, all that had been scattered, and heal all that had been broken, bringing peace between the Creator and creation. And this peace, what's interesting about this peace, is it's not just about the absence of something. It's not just about the absence of like war or conflict or darkness or whatever. This peace was about the presence of someone. Peace himself came to earth. In the middle of our mess, in the middle of our chaos, peace came to earth and brought order. The advent of peace, the arrival of peace that we celebrate and remember at Christmas. Uh, now we're going to look at one more passage, and that's uh, the fulfillment of peace. This is uh, John uh, chapter 14. Turn over to John chapter 14. Again, the words should miraculously appear behind me. Uh, listen to these, these, are, uh, these words from Jesus to his disciples. Uh, this is Jesus is preparing for his imminent death. Okay, so this is before the crucifixion. We're going to pick up in uh, verse 25, uh, John chapter 14. Jesus says this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So here we've got Jesus in, this, um, in these words comforting his disciples with these sort of final kind of words, some of the, you know, his final words. And not only would the Messiah bring peace into the world, which we celebrate at Christmas, but he was going to leave his peace in the world so that we, his disciples, his followers, can walk in it and we can live in and through it even after he has left the earth. And this peace given to us in and through the birth of Jesus Christ and kept in us through the Advocate, through the Holy Spirit, was to be, intended to be, designed to be for us a catalyst for living uh, the fulfillment, if you like, of life in the kingdom. Living a life of, uh, that is free from fear, and anxiety and darkness. It was to be, if you like, um, gravity for us as followers of Jesus. The very thing that keeps us grounded, the firm footing upon which we stand. You know, when everything else around us is 
kind of falling apart. We, as followers of Jesus, we have this peace. We are rooted and grounded and established in him and his righteousness, and our feet are firmly planted to the ground. We are weighted down with this gravity. This is to be the rescue and the remedy for every troubled uh, soul. And in his last days, we find Jesus kind of echoing the angelic proclamations that have gone out, you know, that were made about his coming, that have gone out to Zachariah and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds um, that you're going to hear a lot of over the next few weeks. We hear Jesus saying and echoing the same words, and the words are, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The only command around his coming in the Christmas story and the final command uh, for his disciples before his death. Do not be afraid. The peace we find in Jesus, the very thing that causes us to not be afraid is God restoring what's been lost and broken and stolen. It's God bringing wholeness and healing and fullness to all. And that's the good news of Christmas. The promise of peace, the advent of peace, the fulfillment of peace. Now, uh, maybe you're thinking, that all sounds really great, uh, but that's um, not actually how I feel. I'm here this morning in this freezing cold hall, and I don't feel any of those things. You know, try as I might, I've been following Jesus for years, but I honestly just do not feel like I have peace. I don't feel like I have that. In fact, far from it. I'm often anxious and worried and fearful and a whole host of other things uh, besides. You may have very good reason for feeling anxious or not feeling like you have peace. Maybe you've lost um, loved ones. Maybe you've had your hopes uh, shattered. Uh, maybe you're, you've lost relationships with others. Maybe you just lost your way. Yes, you know, the peace is definitely good news, but the reality is, for many of us, that peace can sometimes feel like it's far off. It can sometimes feel like it's unrealistic. It can sometimes feel like it's impossible. We all know that the command is do not be afraid. But actually, quite a lot of the time, many of us are afraid. And we don't have peace, or we don't feel like we have peace. It can... It's true, sometimes peace can sound like a, it's a little bit naive, you know, especially when it feels like the chaos that's happening outside of us is kind of colliding with the chaos that's happening inside of us. Uh, but that, in many ways, I think, is the power and the beauty of this season of Advent, this practice of watching and waiting, of slowing down, of pausing, of observing, of being still, because in Advent, I think we, one of the things we recognize, one of the many things we recognize, is that peace is so much more than a feeling. Um, it's so much more than just like this temporary moment of relief. Um, instead, I think of peace as being, um, it's that continually turning our attention and posturing our hearts towards everything that is available to us right now in and through the person of Jesus. The call for the disciple of Jesus is not simply to let's like, wait for this future 
peace. You know, oh, it's coming. You just got to wait till God brings it. You know, I'll just endure the weight of the world and all of the problems and all of the challenges until Jesus comes. I'm just going to pray that Jesus comes back really, really soon and puts everything right because honestly, this is all a bit of a mess. I think the call, especially in Advent, for us as followers of Jesus is for us to lean into all that is available to us right now as followers of Jesus in and through Jesus. And then for us to be sort of like Holy Spirit filled, advocate filled agents and conduits of peace ourselves. It's been said that in making peace, we often find more of it. In making peace, we often find more of it. There's, there's actually an invitation in here, I think, for us to be um, more than peacekeepers. The call, I think, on our lives is for us as followers of Jesus to be peacemakers. And I think there's a subtle difference. To walk out in our own lives the reality that Jesus is our peace and to let that ring true from the top of our head to the sole of our feet. And let the proclamation that Jesus is our peace comfort us, yes, but let it also compel us towards bringing the reality of his peace into every space and into every ache and into every person that we encounter. In every situation, uh, we find ourselves, we are to be like Jesus. That's the call of the disciple. That's who we are. Uh, we are to be like Jesus. And even in the midst of our weakness, even in the midst of our weariness, we are to proactively seek peace. The question for us, I guess, is what does this mean? Kind of like, what does this mean practically? You know, it sounds good, but what are we going to do tomorrow or this afternoon or whatever? What does it practically mean to be a peacemaker? Um, simply put, I think uh, peacemaking is, is just about being, a, being proactive about making peace. Peacekeeping is a little bit passive. Peacemaking is much more proactive. Um, peacemakers are people who make peace. They go out of their way to make peace. And so what that means is it requires us as followers of Jesus to move towards spaces and places of conflict. It means moving towards, you know, some of the inner conflict that's going on in our hearts. It means us moving towards some of the conflict that's going on in the world around us with the intention of making peace. You know, that's, that's pretty hard work. That's not uh, a comfortable place to be, especially for the conflict avoidant. It's an easy place for me to be, but it's not an easy place for many other people to be. Um, it's not a comfortable place to be, especially when we're tired. Yet the invitation, I believe, from the Spirit of God is for us to do that. We are to open our eyes to see what is happening in us and around us, all the while inviting Jesus, who we profess to be our shalom, our peace, to take that peace with us and to bring wholeness into every part. You know, it's an act of faith, definitely, but it's just something that I don't think we can afford as followers of Jesus to avoid. And, you know, this isn't some sort of theological rocket science. It really isn't that complicated. All I mean, I think, by making peace is just start in our prayers. Just start there. 
in our personal, private prayer life with Jesus, that we are intentionally and actively praying about those pockets of conflict or disruption and just invite the Spirit of God to come and do his thing. Invite the Spirit of God to come and do his work. You know, maybe uh, for some of us it's about actually going ahead and having or starting to have that slightly tricky conversation. You know, we're aware that there's some conflict. We're aware that the peace between us and somebody else has been disrupted. And so maybe it's about us moving towards that and having that conversation. Maybe it's about, um, some of us, it's just about choosing to believe the best about others in a given situation. I don't know about you, but I'll often, intentionally or unintentionally, misread a situation and and spin it in some way that kind of will make somebody else come out the worst. I'll put the blame on them or I'll hold them responsible. And sometimes the invitation from the Spirit of God is just, uh, I think Bob Fortin used, used to call it, um, don't get upset over, like cold custard syndrome, don't get upset over trifles, I think it was. You know, sometimes it's just a case of choosing to think the best in others. It's very simply all of us just inviting Jesus to lead us and show us how to navigate those tricky situations that we find ourselves in. For some of us, it's in our families, for some of us, in our relationships, for some of us, in our workplaces, all kinds of different spaces and places that we find challenge and conflict. For some of us, it's going to mean letting go of some of the pain that, uh, of the one who's hurt us and, and, and offering love somehow. Um, instead of choosing or wanting to try and hurt them back. It's going to be, maybe for some of us, it's going to be about talking with those people who've disappointed us or let us down rather than talking about them to other people. There's all kinds of different ways, and for each one of us, we need to ask the Spirit of God what it is that he would have us do in that specific situation. This is peacemaking. This is where we start. And I think as we start to do that, we begin to get freed up ourselves. This um, is a work, actually, that sets us free. Um, And if we're going to bring peace to the world around us as followers of Jesus, uh, we first have to experience it. We have to know it ourselves. And uh, in order to do that, very simply, we just need to be a spirit-filled people. Um, We need to be filled with the spirit of God, the advocate. Um, in Galatians 5, we read that you know, the fruit of God's Spirit within us is peace. And what that means is the more of the Spirit of God that we have in our lives, the more peace we will have in our lives. The more of the Spirit of God we have in our lives, the more peace we will have in our lives. I said it wasn't theological rocket science. Um, it is simple, but it's not necessarily as simple as it sounds. Because the truth Uh, The truth is, some of us need to make a little bit more room for him in our lives. We need to make a little bit more space for him in our lives so that we can be filled with him, so that we can experience more of things like his peace. You know, we may be here this morning, we're like, we can't figure out for the life of us why we're not at peace. And yet, if we're honest we've made very little time and very little space for the Spirit of God to come and occupy 
and preoccupied those places within us where the world has distracted us and where we're a little bit devoid of him. It's no surprising we don't have peace if we're not making space for the Spirit of God to come and fill our hearts and our lives. Um, there's an invitation, I think, here, especially over Advent as we slow down and still and quiet our hearts and minds, uh, to invite more of the Holy Spirit into our lives. If we want the realities of peace at work inside of us, the scriptures say that the fruit of righteousness or holiness will be peace. So there's a bit of reconciling that has to be done um, within us, a work that has to be done within us so that the Holy Spirit can come and take up space uh, within us. As we cultivate the work of the Spirit in our life through the practices and through the rhythms and through things like observing seasons like Advent and slowing down, uh, we will encounter more of the peace of God. And as we do that, as we encounter more of the peace of God for ourselves, we will then be able to reflect that to the world around us. Uh, the, word, uh, the work of peacemaking, is, it is the work of God. You know, we see that um, in our Christmas story as it's told to us over and over again. It's, it's God using his people to set the world to right, to, to care for and to believe for and to provide for those who experience the effects and the brokenness of our world. You know, and um, there's something proactive for us to be doing as we embody peace uh, this Christmas. You know, maybe it's as simple as just looking out for those who um, are alone this Christmas, those who are around us who have no peace and extending that peace to them. It's, maybe it's just looking out for the, you know, the Marys and the Josephs who, who have no safe place uh, to go, no, no roof, literal or metaphorical, over their heads, no family to be part of, you know. Um, maybe it's us thinking and praying and seeking um, to committing to relational peace in our own lives. Um, where do we need to actively make peace with someone else, where the relationship has just kind of gone a little bit off? And what are we going to do about that this Christmas? You know, Christmas is a, it's a wonderful opportunity. It brings out the best uh, and the less best um, in many of us. You know, a lot of us get really, really anxious in the run-up to Christmas. The, the, the idea of Christmas, the, the feasting and the festivities and the family and the reality can sometimes be a bit like that. If we're going to be like Jesus, how are we going to move towards um, places of, of conflict, places of brokenness, rather than away from them? Those places that need God to kind of show up in. Um, because we've been called to be conduits of that peace. And as we work towards making peace, we're actually, what we're actually doing, we're actually proclaiming a better way, um, a better way of life. Ultimately, what we're doing is we are preparing and pointing to the second great advent. In the first advent, Jesus comes, but in the second one, uh, Jesus will come again and not leave. It will be God with us. And so as we become peacemakers in this in-between time, this, the, this now and the not yet time, between the first coming 
of Jesus at Christmas and his return. As we become um, peacemakers, we're, we're pointing to that coming advent, that fullness of the kingdom that's on its way when Jesus will come again and put everything right. One day we will experience life as it was always supposed to be. You know, and that's our hope in this realm of peace, that God will one day in this great second advent step back fully into creation and once and for all usher in his peace and his shalom and his order. That place where there'll be no more crying, no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Uh, at Christmas time, we remember that peace uh, comes near to those who need it most and will come again in its fullness one day. Throughout um, Advent and Christmas, we get the gospel, um, but we kind of get it slowly. Uh, we, we get the gospel, but in sort of simple terms. We get the majesty and the splendor of it, but it, it, it all becomes somehow palatable as the story and the narrative of the nativity unfolds. This simple expression of this vulnerable uh, baby somehow uh, just makes the gospel story not too overwhelming as it unfurls and unfolds uh, in front of our eyes. In, in Advent, we take kind of four weeks to say that through the Messiah, in and through Jesus, he brings hope for everything that has been misaligned, he, you know, both within each one of us and within the world in which we find ourselves. He, he brings peace and order and justice. He brings deep joy for the soul and he brings true and lasting love. He brings everlasting hope to all people. And in Advent, we, we sit in and we wait in uh, all for hope, peace, joy, and love. And we remind ourselves that in the midst of the, of the hustle and the bustle of this season, you know, those of us who are in Christ Jesus have already received every good gift. We've already got it all. It's already at our fingertips. It's just there. It's all in our pockets, waiting, the Spirit of God just waiting for us to give it all away to the people that we encounter. At Christmas time, we remember this Jesus has come to earth and that he is our peace both today and forevermore. Amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper.